With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Thursday, the 28th of July, 2022, exactly 10 years and one day after the opening ceremony of London 2012, England will once again become the centre of the sporting world as the eyes of the Commonwealth focus on Birmingham for the 22nd edition of the Commonwealth Games. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, the podcast where we speak to the men and women in charge of the sports bodies, authorities and organising committees in this country. I'm Michael. And I'm John, and Michael and I have a combined 50 years' experience of reporting and covering the world's biggest sporting events. We've been at multiple Olympic Games, the Paralympics, Rugby World Cup, Wimbledon and World Championships in athletics, swimming and cycling. And in 2014, we found ourselves sat next to one another, working for rival radio stations for 10 days in Scotland. The seed for this podcast and working together was sown at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. And we're delighted that one of the key figures behind the success of that event joins us in this episode, although now he has somewhat an even bigger job on his hands. I'm Ian Reid. I'm the Chief Executive of the Organising Committee for the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham in 2022. Ian, the days are ticking by. The months are going past very quickly. Will you, will Birmingham be ready for the 28th of July, 2022? Yeah, I'm very confident that that we'll be ready, Michael. I think we've got a a fantastic team working um, incredibly hard to get to that deadline. But also, we're in a fabulous city and region that's got world-class venues, incredible staff that support them, that put on fabulous events all all around the calendar year so. We're in a really good place. Most of those events, uh, sorry, most of those venues are already there and uh, the capital programme is relatively limited. Um, So I'm absolutely confident that we'll put on a world-class showcase here in Birmingham. Well, that wasn't me being entirely facetious right at the start of the podcast, but obviously the background to this is Birmingham wasn't the first choice. It, It stepped in and Durban had to kind of give the games away, if you like. So you didn't have that usual lead up time, did you? 
No, we didn't. And as a little bit of background, you're right, the Games were originally awarded to South Africa um, about seven years out from 2022. And then for a variety of reasons, the Federation decided to open that competition back up and move the Games on. So the UK stepped forward. I think Birmingham actually had some early plans to, to, to bid for the event in 2026. Um, and Birmingham and Liverpool then entered a competition. Um, with Birmingham ultimately being successful. But of course, what that meant was that normal seven-year planning cycle was then significantly reduced um, to around four years. But of course, by the time you get organising committees up to, to a level that, that they can actually have a robust set of staff and systems in place, you really only probably got about three and a half years of planning. So that's really focused the mind. Um, but as I said earlier, the UK is blessed with now a, a whole a, array of really experienced um, event staff. And we've been lucky enough to get a number of people in the business who have done either London 2012 or Commonwealth Games, as you mentioned earlier in Glasgow, and, and multiple events now from around the world. So we blessed with a really experienced team and also some fabulous new eventers from, from the local area as well. So you had that senior role at Glasgow 2014, but what's it like being the top man? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question, John. It's, it, it, it's quite different, actually. I mean, I uh, I was one of the first staff on board in Glasgow, and I actually was the last person out once the organising committee was dissolved. So I physically locked the door, uh, I think, in about March 2015 after that event. So I did get a great experience in terms of seeing the whole journey, but it's definitely different being the CFO as I was there to, to the CEO as, as I am in, in Birmingham, I think. You know, you, you've clearly got a more defined remit uh, under that finance, that financial uh, role that, than you do under a CEO role. And, and the stakeholder management um, requirements of a CEO in, in, in an event like this, where everyone's got a view and wants to input to its development, um, is, is quite different from my previous, my previous role. And I suppose you have to be more facing up to any decision that you make or the organising committee make and you have to go out and either defend it or be praised for it. Yep, you're, you're the front face, and I suppose that's that's what you're paid for from from some perspectives. But but actually, you know, I quite enjoy that. I I, uh, I think I should be accountable, and uh, and we've had some challenges in, in in Birmingham so far, and we've had some really really good progress. And you know that that's part of the job is explaining those decisions. Um, making sure people understand why you've made them, taking people um, on the journey. And, and also, one of the challenges here has been, we talked about earlier that shorter timescale for planning. One of the big disadvantages of that is normally, whilst you've got your seven years of organising time, you've also normally got two or three years of bidding time as well. But what that allows you to do is then get the community behind the event from very early on. Um, so normally by this stage, you know everyone fully understands what you're trying to deliver. Um, and is engaged in, in that overall mission. Whereas starting so late, there's there's got to be a lot of investment into that. And, you know, people um, in, in the wider UK still probably don't fully understand what Birmingham 2022 is trying to deliver. And even probably in parts of the country don't even know it's, it's taking place yet because we've lost so much time. So, um, you know, we, we've got everybody focused on, on trying to get that message out there now. Um, and, and hopefully the timing of that's, is, is excellent in terms of we're in a really challenging environment at the moment for, for every organisation, in particular in the events world. And we're hoping that maybe 2022 is the year that people start to celebrate again, can start to get together 
It's a big year. It's um, the, the 100th anniversary of the BBC. It's Queen's Jubilee. Um, there's a UK-wide festival, and we're right in the centre of that as a Commonwealth Games. So we've got a great opportunity. Um, but yeah, just taking everyone on that journey is hugely important. That's very interesting what you say there, because as we record, it's September 2020. We are still in the midst of a global pandemic. Brexit is still a word that, you know, is dominating news agendas. Does Birmingham 2022 then have the opportunity to bring people together? Does sport have the opportunity to bring people together? Which, let's be honest, by the summer of 2022, we might be desperate, desperate to come together as a nation again. Yeah, you know, it's, it's difficult talking about um, the, the event and the opportunity it brings on the back of a pandemic. And, um, but, but at the same time, exactly what you've said there is right, Michael. This is, this is a potential to be the first international multi-sport event that takes place post, hopefully, the removal of social distancing and other constrictive measures. So we, we, we should grab that. Do you know, this is a chance for the UK to get back together. And we know the UK absolutely loves these events. Um, we've got, you know, we get daily correspondence from people who either volunteered or were ticket holders in London or in Glasgow or even in international events and cannot wait for this to come along. So yes, perhaps we could be the vehicle, whether it's through our live sites or cultural programme, all the fantastic sport or people just watching on TV that start to feel good about things again and start to, you know, really look forward to getting together and celebrating in person and physically next to each other. So yeah, that, that would be a great result, I think, for us. And hopefully we're out of this long before then. You say there that you might be the first sort of multi-sport big international event to, to be back to, to normal as we know it. Does that mean that you expect the Olympics, the Paralympics, are you speaking to, you know, the International Olympic Committee, the IPC, about what they might be planning for the summer of 2021 and learning from them? Yeah, so on the kind of operational side, you know, we, we probably naively look back when lockdown started in March and thought, well, you know, we're two and a bit years away. This won't impact us and we should continue planning as normal. But as the months go on um, and as you read more about the time it might take to roll vaccines, etc., out, um, it would be remiss of us not to be thinking about whether some of those restrictions are perhaps still in place in 2022. So we do talk to other events. We have been talking to IOC and a number of others about how they are planning. And obviously their challenges are much greater than ours with their event being, being a year earlier. Um, but, but at the same time, having spoken to them, that you know they've got some incredible ideas. Um, they're working around the clock. They've got a fabulous team there and they're absolutely focused on, on delivering an event. Um, it's not for me to say what that event will, will look like, um, but, but you know it's, it's likely to be different. I mean, I think we would all admit it's unlikely that the world will be back to a completely normal state come um, July, August 2021. So, of course, it will likely be different. Um, but technology is moving on really quickly. Um, and as well, I'm sure a lot of the, the thinking around, around how we get people back into stadiums and um, how it will work and broadcast and making sure we can get athletes in and out safely, etc. All of that's on their radar. Um, but, but, it, but it might not be back to normal. I think one of the interesting things was back in March when they cancelled the Olympics, everything then had to get moved. You at Birmingham 2022 actually moved the, the start of your ceremony or your event a, a day later um, to, the, to the, the day after 10 years on from London 2012, as we've said in our intro. Then you start getting the World Athletics Championships moving, the European Athletics Championships moving. You've got the Commonwealth Games in the, in the middle of that. 
and you kind of thought, oh, 2022, that's going to be a good year. But you were still looking forward to sport in 2021. But now, as we, as we keep saying, we're progressing to the end of this year. And it's like, well, is there going to be sport as we know it in 2021? So in, in, in some ways, does it actually give you more prominence, if you like, that your event is going to be a beacon of hope for this country? Yeah, it does. And, and just touching on that sporting calendar initially, I mean, I think the one thing that we really, um, you know, we really welcomed and, and were surprised at, we shouldn't say surprised at because um, there's some great organisations involved, but as soon as the Olympics moved, I think all of the events collaborated very closely on the implications of that. So you mentioned some of the challenges we've had with the World Athletics Championships moving, the European Championships, not just in athletics, across a number of our sports takes place not long after the Commonwealth Games. But the other major one for us as well was, of course, in, in the football world, um, both European football championships moved with the women's uh, European football championships now taking place in the summer of 2022 as well. As long as some big, indiv- as long as, uh, as well, sorry, as some really big individual sport events, including potentially the 150th golf open. And so from a broadcast perspective, before you start looking at other issues, that is a really busy calendar um, of which the, you know the, these broadcasters are paying significant rights fees for so want to make sure that there are minimal clashes so the output of all of those discussions as you said John was moving the moving the event one day which seemed like a heck of a lot of time and deliberations for, for not a lot but actually the logic to it was 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 very sound and um, in particular there's initial discussions were around um, world athletics and they had a variety of different options and worked very closely with us to make sure that a, they didn't have a direct clash but more importantly um, that we got a solution that we believe the majority of athletes could compete at both and of course for UK athletes that could be three championships back to back so that's almost like an event by event program um, to make sure that works but then the European football championships um, Women's Championships does still have a direct clash with us. So their final, I believe, is scheduled for our first Sunday of our programme. But actually, one of the big reasons for us moving a day was that their semi-final would have clashed directly with our opening ceremony and potentially cannibalising both broadcast audiences. So it made absolute sense um, to get out of the way of, of, of those. And both parties agreed that the solution we went with was the best one. And we'll work closely on the scheduling for that final as well to, to make sure hopefully it fits into a slot around our sport. So, so that was a kind of background to that. But back to your question, and um, yes, you know, it, it, it means that um, we're hopefully all in for an incredible summer of sport in 2022. And um, that, that includes what, what we hope will be a really special um, summer of women's sport, actually, with England hosting, um, obviously, those European football championships then. Right at the back of that, we have the largest um, programme of, of women's sport in the Commonwealth Games there's ever been. We've got more women's medals, actually, than, than men's medals for the first time ever. And it will be the first time we ever showcased women's cricket in, in the Commonwealth Games. So, you know, the, it, it's a really exciting time. And if you are a, a, a sport fanatic, as I am, and like sitting either in venues or just in front of the TV, there's a huge amount to offer come, come the summer of 2022. Well, let's do what we'd all like to do, which is move COVID aside and just pretend it's not happening. And we'll just look ahead to the sport that will happen in 2022 that you've, that you've mentioned. Birmingham and Glasgow, similarities in cities? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, 
both cities, I think, recognise the power of a Games to be a catalyst for a change in both the residents' perception, but even more importantly, the national and international perception of their cities. So, you know, Glasgow's strategy was very much about using the Games as that worldwide marketing campaign um, to, to showcase everything great about, about that city. And if you recall, and, and, and I know you were there, John, if you recall the the, the marketing bureau in the city alongside the Games launched um, a, whole, a whole raft of new campaigns. Um, I still remember, the, isn't it? Wasn't it People Make Glasgow? I still got the pen. Including People Make Glasgow in, in that lovely pink colour with white lettering. And in fact, they even paid the organising committee to, to, to take a sponsorship so that it'd be, it'd be around the perimeter of a lot of the venues. And do you know what? It worked brilliantly. We were blessed with fantastic weather, which we, we can't really control, but worked really well and unusually for July in, in Glasgow. And I, can I quickly tell you a very quick story about that? My wife had to bring me extra shorts coming to visit after about four or five days and she had to bring extra shorts to Glasgow. It's normally extra waterproof, sir. <laughs> or umbrellas, isn't it? So, yeah, I couldn't believe it either. And, and actually, in terms of showcasing the city, therefore, on broadcast, but also when people ask me what was my favourite part of the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, and of course the sport was brilliant, but actually I'd never, ever seen the city like that before and never have seen it since in terms of people out in the streets, bars and restaurants spilling out, the atmosphere so positive, people celebrating long into the night in the right way, and then going to sport the next day, and that just continued and continued. So, um, And I think Birmingham's in, in a very similar place. I mean, I'm sitting in my office now, if I look out the window, um, the amount of regeneration and construction is incredible. There's new buildings being built on this side. There's a tram line being built right down Broad Street behind me. Um, a huge amount of real estate construction down, down there as well. And, and it is definitely a city on the up. And, and I'm sure you, you guys have been recently, but for those who have, perhaps haven't visited the city in a long time, the change is incredible. Um, and it's, it's only going to continue and it will look better than ever for the games. And this is about actually, you know, shouting to the world about that. Um, you know, we've got a city with huge amount of investment in it, the HS2 line going in that's going to connect it at high speed to the rest of the country. Um, we've got some fabulous venues, incredible people. Um, and, and, and I think this will be an absolute game changer for, for the city and the region at, at a time where, you know, the, these big projects are really, really needed. And, and you speak to the civic leaders here, and they will say they are blessed by having an HS2 project and a Commonwealth Games project at a time where they need significant recovery and the jobs and the economic benefits that brings. So perhaps the event itself is obviously hugely important, but the run-up to the event is perhaps more important than, than ever for this city. So I'm, I'm hugely excited by it, and as are, as are everyone, as is everyone involved in, in the project. So. Yeah, cannot wait now till we all get back into stadiums in, in, in 2022 and, and bring everyone into Birmingham and show it all off. But your enthusiasm, Ian, for it is obvious. And, and John's mentioned his wife, so I feel now I should mention my <laughs> wife. My wife is Glaswegian um, oh, and obviously enjoyed um, Glasgow 2014. And like John, actually, we, we both lived in Birmingham for significant periods. I lived in Birmingham and worked in Birmingham for three years. And I do think having spent a lot of time in both cities, that the, the cities, the people of the city are very similar. That's my, my view of it. But you talk about the construction and the, the capital expenditure, big, the big projects, if you like. Let's talk about some of them now. We've got the Aquatic Centre, we've got the stadium, but I just want to talk about Perry Bar 
and what was going to be the athletes' village. The the case for the defence, if you like, on that is that you know Manchester didn't have a purpose-built athletes' village. Athletes lived in the university sites in Fallowfield, so it's not unusual to go down the route that Birmingham is going. But having sort of sold the dream, the ideal, if you like, of that that regeneration around the Perry Bar region, what was how difficult a job was that to, to say that we just can't do that in the timeframes available? Yeah, as you can imagine, a hugely difficult decision um, and one that took a lot of um, debating and reviewing across a number of parties um, because you know ultimately that was the vision at the bid and it would have been an absolute and will be a spectacular regeneration of, of the city and would have been a fantastic um, village. But um, at the same time, the, the risks and, and the environment we were working in um, to, to get that over the line in time just became too great. And as you can imagine, we got a huge number of experts involved to try and give us what is the probability of us being able to do this if you know we throw everything at it. And we just couldn't get to a position where everyone was comfortable um, that we could get that over the line. And that was primarily driven. You know, it was always a tight project. It was always ambitious. But it was going well, actually. Um, it was going well. And, and then COVID comes along and the whole construction site went down for the best part of the month. And it just did not have the capability to recover that because, of course, people look at it and say, well, it's three or four weeks, isn't it? Surely you can get that back. But, of course, the challenge that anyone in the construction industry will tell you over the last six months has been, well, that's fine, but it takes time to get productivity then back up to where it was. So you're not just losing that. Um, short period of time, there's an ongoing um, loss of productivity there. However, um, the most important thing um, in all of that was that the regeneration of Perry Bar is still delivered, and that was secured through the commitment the government had already given to the funding, and that remains, and the city are ploughing on ensuring that that's the case. So all the benefits that we would have had in legacy from Perry Bar will still be delivered. And yes, ideally, it would have been great to showcase all of that um, for the games, but, but unfortunately, that, that, just wasn't, um, that just wasn't available um, to us with the level of confidence that, that we'd hoped for. So the other two big construction projects then, which is the, the Samuel Aquatic Centre and the regeneration of the, the Alexander Stadium, of course, they're still on, on schedule. You're, you're very confident that they'll be, be ready, be dressed, have had their test events and everything that, their safety certificates that are needed? We are, yes. In fact, I'm just off a call this morning where we, we did a review of both. Um, they are both on time. They are both um, fully funded and on budget. Um, and we crack on. Look, of course, there's uncertainties um, in, until we're out of all of this. And we can all see that construction isn't going to be affected any further. Then we need to keep a close eye on it. But the contractors, the workforce, um, both city councils uh, who, who are delivering it are doing a fantastic job. So, so, yeah, I'm confident they will both be delivered. Did you ever think about building a velodrome? <laughs> um, so I should say all along that it would never have been the game's decision, i.e. the organising com committee's decisions to build a velodrome, simply because it's not right to build a velodrome for 11 days of sports. So the business case needs to be there for a velodrome to work um, long into the future. So without passing the buck, that, that is other people's decisions around uh, that. So the funders, wherever that money may or may not come from, but the British Cyclings and the Sport Englands of this world need to do those assessments. Um, and I know that they are speaking to the city about, about those business cases and what the, the possible would be in the region. Um, you know, if there was 
there was a brand spanking new velodrome built in, in Birmingham, the West Midlands, that fitted the specification for the games. Of course we would use it. Um, but as I say, it's it's too late for that now. So the, the focus, I think, of a lot of the campaign groups is can we get some sort of training legacy um, velodrome? But as I say, not, not, not a decision for us. But uh, at the same time, huge amount of cycling. Um, we have got a fabulous road racing time trial that will go through the region. We've got um, mountain biking up in Cannock Chase, and there's going to be a real legacy from that. So new tracks being built up there, not just the elite tracks, but some family uh, track investment and, and Cannock Chase as well. Um, and the track cycling will be will be special in London as well, as we all know it, it can be. We're talking to Ian Reid, CEO of Birmingham 2022. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. We've talked about the beauty of Birmingham, um, an incredibly diverse city. I think in the bid you talked about it being a Commonwealth city. So how much of an own goal was the lack of diversity on the board? Yeah, look, not, not the result that anybody has, any of us wanted to get on the board. I think um, it would be easy to point the finger at one organisation um, and it's no one organisation's um, issue. The, the board of an organising committee, just to explain to, to listeners, is simply... Um, that it's determined in the in the host city contract about who should be on that board, and that is made up of um, nominations from different partners in, in the uh, in the construct of the games. So the Federation, Commonwealth Games England, in this case Birmingham City Council, the West Midlands Combined Authority, um, DCMS at the UK government, and a few non-executive appointments as well. Um, and I suppose looking back personally and being quite candid about it, I think. Our, um, our issue there was there wasn't one controlling mind overseeing all of this, making sure that we landed on a board that was reflective of the region. So that, so we ended up with all those nominee, nominees being a board that was um, predominantly white um, and that rightly came under significant scrutiny uh, in the media locally and a number of campaign groups uh, and individuals who are still, I, I talk to regularly to this day, are pushing for change and change is happening so um, we have made one uh, announcement the CGF changed one of their nominees and we expect um, at least one other partner to make a change and we are currently recruiting for a board vacancy so we're confident that we will get to a better board and and you know there's a real rightly there's a real focus on me as well in terms of how we build the organizing committee team um, the volunteering workforce um, and make sure that they are fully reflective of the West Midlands as well. So you know, we're not shying away from the criticism. The criticism was absolutely right. Um, I've kind of given you the facts in the process. I'm not making an excuse for them. Um, and we're trying to best to address it. So there's a whole full action plan now to make sure that we turn this around um, in a really positive way and actually go as far as we possibly can um, in a number of areas um, in the equality, diversity and inclusion elements of the games and we're getting a lot of resource on to support us to do that because you mentioned it earlier that with the fact that you were taking on Durban and not having as much time to organize that you were worried about the support from the community so this wouldn't have helped (laughs) no it it wouldn't have helped but but at the same time um strangely it's proved um beneficial and because a number of those community groups, rather than, and this is a huge merit to them, rather than simply criticise and walk away, they've actually um, wanted to help us and support us and be part of the solution. Um, So uh, there are a huge number of people that I engage with, our chairman engages with regularly, 
who, who are advising us formally and informally and making connections and um, supporting us with some, some really good initiatives across the community. So, so I, I think in a strange way, um, working closely now with them, getting this into a much better place, might actually improve some of those community relationships in the longer term. Um, but, but you're right, huge, huge issue up front that, that we're now addressing, and I, I, I am hoping we will actually end up being an organisation that, that in the city is actually seen as a leader in this space rather than um, coming up from the tail end of the, of the challenge, which we, we obviously were seen to be a few months ago. Final one just on this subject, Ian. You kind of hinted at it earlier. Fantastic that maybe the makeup of the board will change, but every level of the organisation, every department, and when we get to games time and all those extra thousands of people that you know, we're going to ask to deliver a games and, and welcome the Commonwealth to Birmingham, that needs to be representative too, doesn't it? It does, it does. And actually, looking at our volunteer strategy, which is going to our, to our board um, next week, that's, you would imagine that's right at the front of their thinking. Um, we've got a recruitment partner on in, in GI Group who um, are absolutely focused on improving our um, reflectiveness and they are pushing into the communities hard as well in terms of getting all the right applications from um, all demographics. And, and, you know, we've only got, we've probably got 150, 160 people now. The organising committee will end up with 1,100. So our organisation, um, you know, we're very much the infancy of recruitment and, and we will make sure and, and what we also, the commitment we also made, Michael, was we'll be completely transparent about it. Um, so what we're going to do um, probably in a month or two's time is just start publishing on a monthly basis um, the breakdown of our workforce. Um, you know, that's um, whether it's gender, whether it's sexuality, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's staff members with a disability. Um, and we'll compare that with what the West Midlands looks like. And, you know, that will help us focus on, on, on where we need to make our efforts in, in recruitment and recruitment and other things. So, um, so yeah, we'll be completely open about it and, and, and not shy away from the challenge that we've got ahead of us. You've got some fantastic venues that you've mentioned, obviously, some new, some that we know about. So, you know, the Coventry Arena for, for Rugby Sevens, Edgebaston for Cricket, the National Indoor Arena, National Exhibition Centre. How much say do, do you as an organising committee have on the makeup of sports going into the games? Because we did a Great British Bosses pre-lockdown now with GB Archery. And at the time, they were very disappointed not being on your programme. They said that archery was intrinsically linked with the Midlands. They came up with a fantastic venue, which if memory serves, was, was Aston Hall in Birmingham. But now shooting and archery are having to do their, their spin-off event, if you like, in India. How much say do you have over what's on the programme? Yeah, so, so the, the way it works is that there's a set of compulsory sports that the CGF determined through their sports governance and you don't have a choice about those being on the programme. And then there is a set of optional sports. But there are some parameters around those optional sports and how you choose them. So there's a limit on number of team sports, for example. There's a limit on the number of athletes and officials you can have for obvious reasons around the size of the village and, and cost factors. Um, but once the organising committee was set up in one of our first board meetings, we looked at the sports that weren't on the programme, which, um, um, which we could have picked from, which were five sports, beach volleyball, um, women's cricket, para table tennis, and the two sports, shooting and archery, that you just mentioned, Michael. And, and we said to the CGF, would you allow us to add any additional sports, um, even if perhaps we broke some of those parameters, 
um, if we could afford them and could accommodate athletes, etc. Which they helpfully did allow us to do that, but we couldn't accommodate all of the athletes from all five sports. Um, hence, we ran this this competition of which archery and shooting were involved, and that ended up um, with the the proposal to add women's cricket, beach volleyball, and para para table tennis. You know, it's it's a difficult. All sports were great when I mean, we we had some fabulous presentations from all five. Um, ultimately, we had to make a decision, and you know, it was driven primarily by. You know, it was local taxpayers' money that's going in to add these sports. So the big driver was what local benefit will we get from those additional sports? And of course, in the case of para table tennis, the marginal cost to add that to an existing tennis table tennis program was relatively small, but enhanced our para program and in the inclusive and um, strategic vision that we've got for the games, it was absolutely the right thing to do. But on the other two sports we added, I mean, women's cricket, in, as you two know, having lived here in Birmingham, at Edgbaston, um, it could be absolutely iconic, could be a game changer for the sport and can absolutely engage a huge number of communities in this region that perhaps traditionally wouldn't engage with the Commonwealth Games. Um, so that was a too good an opportunity to miss. And, uh, and beach volleyball, is, as you've seen from coming down to the, to the launch, now beach volleyball alongside three-on-three -three basketball in the city centre of Birmingham with the backdrop of the Selfridges building, the bull ring, and the cathedral will be incredible. Um, and we all saw it in the Gold Coast. It was incredible out there. It's been incredible when it took place in London 2012. Um, and the other two sports would also have been fabulous. Um, that's by no means a criticism, but we had to make a choice. So, so that's why it landed where it did. Is the bigger picture potentially that as these events get harder to stage, more expensive to stage, as the arms race in Olympic and Commonwealth Games to host a bigger and better event and build bigger and better venues. Is, is the bigger picture that maybe the future for something like the Commonwealth Games and David Grevenberg, you know, of the CGF said to us, nothing's off the table, that actually we could see more region-wide events or a Commonwealth Games that could potentially be, be split across countries in the way that, the, the, the inaugural European Championships were with Berlin and Glasgow. Yeah, and I think, I think that's definitely a, a question for David, and it's obviously the CGF's remit. So, but expressing a personal opinion, I mean, I think that the positioning around does there perhaps need to be greater flexibility in the sports programme and how it works for future multi-sport events, I think, is, is absolutely valid. You know, these are significant investments, the economic um, challenges of all countries now for the next five to ten years is significantly worse than we thought it would be a couple of years ago. So both proving long-term value from the events, but also you know having a sports programme that engages with your local community is critical. Um, and we know in the Commonwealth that that can be significantly different to whether it's in the Americas or whether it's in um, the Asian continent or, 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 or even in Africa. You know, this, the sports that appeal to those different countries um, could, could be quite different. And I think the Federation recognises that. And, and as David's probably alluded to, and saying nothing's off the table, I'm sure they are thinking through um, perhaps evolving that and making it a bit, a bit more flexible to, to future hosts. To finish with, Ian, you may go back to where we actually started, but to talk about some of the sports that will be taking place, uh, swimming, diving, triathlon, athletics, some of the big ones, cycling, gymnastics. People are going to be excited. People are going to want to know when the tickets are on sale and when they can start the process of trying to work out what they're going to do and how they're going to get hands on the tickets. Is that the biggest challenge at the moment, working out when on earth 
you will know when you can actually start selling tickets because of, of COVID? Yeah, I mean, look, there's other events selling tickets. Now, I, I had a, a very good positive catch-up with, with John Dutton, who's the chief executive of the Rugby League World Cup. Great, great guy, great organisation. That will be a special event. And, you know, they're, they're selling all the tickets, and ticket sales are going incredibly well. And there's a 100% refund policy if it doesn't go ahead. I, I personally just paid about far too much money to go and see the British Lions next year, and the proviso is, is going to go ahead. I can get into the country. But, but I think people need a bit of hope. And that's certainly the feedback I've been getting from events next year. Is ticket sales are going really, really, really well. Um, so that, that's kind of changed our thinking a little bit. Because, of course, we've got that. There's two routes we could probably go down there if there's still uncertainty. We'll start selling tickets probably summer next year. Um, you know, you could either have gone down a model whereby if things aren't back to normal, you release tickets in stages and you sell based on a restricted um, viewership and then you ramp them up. Or you go down what other events are doing and you sell all your tickets, and but you guarantee people won't lose out if, if ultimately they, they can't get uh, into their seat. I, I'm pretty optimistic about it. I'm sure the world will have a solution for, for events by the time we come along, as we, as we talked about earlier. I'm sure our ticket sales will be incredible for Birmingham 2022. I think the UK, as I said earlier, is passionate about these events. Um, the accessibility of Birmingham uh, and the West Midlands is incredible. Do you know, I say to a lot of people, we sold 96% of our tickets in Glasgow. And we had 4 million people within our two-hour drive. In Birmingham, there's 28 million people within our two-hour drive. Um, and we've got a similar number of tickets. So I know, I know the public will come out and, and support it. So, yeah, I, th I think we'll have a really good ticketing campaign probably from June, July next year. Well, you've spoke with enthusiasm. There was hope in there and, and everything. <laughs> I think that is the thing that we want to know, that we are, at some point, there is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel because it's been a really tough week, hasn't it, for, for sports and organisations, particularly knowing that for the next six months, it doesn't look like it's going to be back at normal. Yeah, I feel for them. And we're obviously in regular contact with a lot of the national governing bodies in the UK and the IFs. And, uh, and, and I understand what they're going through. And it's hugely challenging. And where we can, we're liaising with them if they have um, get redundancy programs or whatever else. And we're recruiting. There's a lot of discussions going on there, as, as you'd expect, to try and support them as best we can. Um, and there's some brilliant people out there doing some incredible work. And some of the events that have gone ahead, despite the circumstances in particular, flag some of the cricket events, you know, they've been incredible considering the circumstances. I love watching the cricket on TV, it's been some dramatic matches and, uh, and I know they're already thinking through um, next year if restrictions continue about how they, they, they up their broadcast offering and their sports presentation and everything else and um, recognising the changing landscape. So it's, it's definitely challenging, um, John, but let's keep coming back to it. By the time we come along, hopefully we're back to normality and everyone can celebrate again. Um, as far as your organisation is concerned, it's, it's business as near new normal, if you like, because you've recently announced this partnership just 24 hours before we record, actually, with the University of Birmingham that will be one of your big athlete centres, as well as hosting many sports arts projects in Birmingham, the West Midlands. You've announced recently are receiving funding. You mentioned that launch of the two venues for the three-on-three -three basketball and the beach volleyball, which we were at a few weeks back in the centre of Birmingham. You are carrying on at pace. Yeah, momentum is definitely there and there'll be another few big announcements in the next couple of weeks as well. So great partnership with the university. Did that along with the CGF and their commercial programme. And, you know, we talked about the village earlier. The University of Birmingham, whilst we're disappointed that we won't have a single one-team village, 
the villages that have, and the university have stepped up to the plate have been incredible. The accommodation at Birmingham, Warwick and the NEC will be special. It, it allows a lot of athletes to walk to competition and training venues. Um, that's all got great benefits from a sustainability perspective. And, and you know, it de-risks things for us. So, you know, we don't think that will be a compromise. We think the athlete experience will still be incredibly special. But yeah, the big announcements will keep coming, Michael. So we've definitely got a bit of momentum behind us now. Well, I can make one assurance for you, and that's that John and I will be there, won't we, John? Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) All being well, we will be joining you in 2022 in Birmingham, if not before, for some of those announcements. Ian, that's been a really interesting and wide-ranging chat, and as we just said, your enthusiasm for the event uh, shines through. So, Ian Reid, Chief Executive of the Organising Committee of the 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, thank you for speaking to great British bosses from anything but footy. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, John. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favourite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.